Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 284 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, it's getting colder and our colonies are all set for the long winter ahead. Well, actually, not really. Listen in for yet more of my attempts to catch up with this beekeeping season. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Before I get started this week, here's a word about the 2024 Beekeeping Show, who sponsor, in part, this week's podcast. After last year's huge success, I'm very excited to let you know that tickets for The Beekeeping Show are now available online at www.thebeekeepingshow.co.uk. Join us at the premier beekeeping show on Saturday the 24th of February 2024 at Telford International Centre, a convenient central location, free parking and more than 50 exhibitors. We hope to see you there. Tickets at www.thebeekeepingshow.co.uk Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to have to start with the weather this week. It's turned distinctly chilly. I've not seen any frosts as yet, but there's certainly been a cold breeze blowing and it looks like we may be in for a prolonged period of colder, wintry weather. No surprise there, as we are about to begin the winter months of December, January and February. It's always a nervous time for a lot of beekeepers, myself included. But if you've hefted your bees and consider they have plenty of food for the start of these colder months, then there should be no real challenge until we get into late January and on into February, the month I always consider to be the most likely to hit the colonies the hardest. It does look like we are heading for some frosty overnight temperatures, with daytime numbers barely getting into double figures, if at all that high. This will mean a complete shutdown of any visible activity outside the hive, but that doesn't mean the bees won't be moving around and keeping warm. The cluster will manage its internal temperatures perfectly well and maintain that all-important life support balance to keep all of the cluster alive. It's at this time you may well find, if you were to look, that the colony is in a broodless state. That means the queen has stopped laying and the brood that was developing has all emerged and there's no sealed brood anywhere in the cluster. Now, just to reiterate, this is not the time to be opening up your hive and carrying out a frame-by-frame inspection. That, however, is exactly what I did just this week to show on video precisely where one particular colony was for this time of the year. Well, not exactly for that reason. There was another reason for checking this particular hive. Now, let me explain. As you all know by now, my season has been somewhat fragmented at the back end due mainly to the ongoing challenge of getting this blasted heather honey out of the frames. It's still sat in the warm room, which is currently cold, at the unit here in Norwich. The replacement wax separator hasn't yet arrived and at this rate I really do think it will be the new year before we can extract it. 
that aside, the delays have been my primary excuse for not getting over to the Fishing Lakes apiary to get the final dozen or so supers off the hives and back for extraction. It's always nice to be able to blame something other than yourself, so I'm going to go with that for now. As time seemed to be ebbing away, I decided I could delay no longer, and so this week popped over to the fishing lakes to see if there was any honey left in the supers we had left with the bees, since bringing them back from the borage and pumpkins, or whether they had either eaten it all or moved it down into the brood box. Well, there was quite a bit of honey in the supers, as I discovered, but I decided that, with all of the current uncertainty surrounding the arrival of the wax separator and the lack of space, I would leave the supers with the colonies to overwinter. I've been very lucky this year with our honey crop, and leaving these supers behind is not going to cause me any issues in terms of honey stocks. In fact, we probably have enough for the next couple of years sat at the unit, so it's no hardship for me, and the bees will undoubtedly benefit. Here's why, and although I'm a little distracted from my line of thought about inspections, I promise I will get to the point in a moment. I spent the time at the apiary moving all of the supers beneath the brood boxes, under supering as we call it, and also removing the queen excluders. I now have a giant stack of queen excluders over at the workshop ready for cleaning. Anyway, back to the apiary. I had my eye on one particular hive that, you might recall, was mentioned in a previous podcast when we had the floods just a few weeks ago. Honestly, I'd forgotten to check in on them at the time, and now it suddenly occurred to me that they may well be not alive. There was no movement at the entrance, despite the other colonies in the apiary flying intermittently. It was a reasonably warm day for late November, and some heat still in the sun. I decided to show the entire process on video. I kind of knew we would have something of interest to show, either good or bad. It didn't really matter, as both help extend our understanding of what's going on and why it's happened, hopefully helping any new beekeepers watching the video to not fall into the same mistakes that I've made. The good news is there were bees in the super. Having smoked them a little and removed the roof and feeder, I was relieved to see workers moving around in the super, albeit a little slowly. You'll remember, the process of under-supering a colony for winter involves dismantling the entire hive down to the floor. In this instance, it was exactly what I needed to do in order to check for flood damage, so it was definitely the right thing to do. Time is getting on a bit now, so if you haven't yet under-supered, it's almost too late really. I know most of you will be well ahead of the game here, so no worries for you. Lifting the brood box off the floor revealed the extent of the flood damage. Bad, but not beyond repair. The main point to note was that the entrances were completely blocked up, and bees had been unable to get out since shortly after the flood, I suspect probably a fortnight or more. Now this isn't the end of the world, as a lot of colonies through the winter months will find themselves confined in the brood box for long periods of time simply because of the weather. Interestingly, adult workers have the ability to wait and wait and wait before they go to the loo, and I think that has probably helped here. 
If any of you are into microscopy and honeybee dissection, you may well have seen the enlarged rectum of the adult honeybee that has been unable to get out to go to the loo. If you haven't, grab a copy of Dade's Anatomy and Dissection of the Honeybee. There are some great illustrations in there. I'll add a link to the podcast notes for you. Anyway, back to the job in hand. The floor of this hive I was inspecting was covered in dead bees. Here we need a little detective work to understand exactly what's happened. The area nearest the entrance was piled high with dead, wet bees, whereas the area towards the centre and back of the floor still had dead bees on it, but these were dry for the most part. I think what had happened is the flood had caused the bees to pile up at the entrance, hence they were wet. This then blocked the entrance, and those other dead bees, unable to get out of the hive, had died in a more central area where they had stayed dry. There were no other signs of any other cause of death such as CBPV or a foul brood disease, so I think it's probably just older bees that died inside the hive rather than away from it when out on flights. The brood nest area within the brood frames was intact and there were plenty of bees in there still, so it wasn't as bad as it might have been. I cleaned the floor and popped it down back on the pallet stand, then added the super before adding the brood box on top of the super. The queen excluder was next to come off and at this point the feeder and roof could have gone back on without any further work. It did, however, seem like a good opportunity to show everyone what was going on in the brood nest area. It was warm-ish and I know now is a time when beekeepers worry what's happening in their hives. Now I really don't recommend that you do this in your apiary. Inspecting colonies at this time of the year is just a disaster waiting to happen. But it just seemed like an opportunity for me to show how the colony is set up at this time of the year. Here's what I found. There was a reasonable amount of food stores. They may need a little additional food, but not just yet. The more significant finding was the total lack of brood in any stage. No eggs, no larvae and no sealed brood. So here we are, the end of November, and once again I find a broodless period, just as I have in the last couple of years. The significance of this is that we can get on with oxalic acid treatments and be confident that the varroa mites are not hiding in sealed cells out of the way. Once I'd finished putting this colony back together, I went around the entire apiary and moved all of the supers down, queen excluders removed as I mentioned earlier. We're all set here now for the cold months to come. We need to come back to treat with oxalic acid and then all I'm really going to do from here on is to heft and add fondant when I feel the need. It does feel good to get back on track with these colonies. In other news, I've just bought myself some new wellies. Now I know that's not really massive news in the beekeeping world, but my feet were getting cold and wet each time I walked through those floodwaters here at the fishing lakes, and having discovered both wellies had splits in the heels, it was time to get them replaced. Now the reason I mention it is that if my previous experiences are anything to go by, I can now confidently predict one of the driest winters on record. You'll remember a couple of years ago we had the failed borage crop because of lack of irrigation, the farmer fitted water pipes, and this year 
we've had almost continuous rain. Well, if that holds true, then by getting these new wellies, I'm just not going to need them. So let's see what happens from this point onwards through to March. As we approach the colder, darker evenings, you might like to dust down your microscopes and have a look at what honey you've got in stock right now. I certainly want to get the microscopes out and take some samples for the various honey crops we've enjoyed this year, most notably the heather honey and the early season vetch that grew through the oilseed rape crop. If you're only just getting started and haven't yet got yourself any microscopy kit, then I would definitely give it a go. Personally, I find it really interesting and to be able to identify on what your colonies have been foraging is always an added bonus snippet of information you can give to your friends and family. And don't forget your stockists if you're selling your honey through a local shop. Finally today, I wanted to mention a couple of association meetings I attended last week. The first up was our very own Norwich and District Beekeepers Association. It was our regular monthly meeting, and this month it was the turn of our treasurer Linda who gave an excellent practical session on making beeswax wraps. I'm never really sure about practical sessions because all I really want to do is to sit quietly in a corner, listen to a talk, chat with fellow members after the event and have a drink. This session was really good fun because once the demonstration was complete, everyone that wanted to have a go at making a beeswax wrap could go up to the demo table and give it a go. Honestly, I've had my fill of making beeswax wraps, so I didn't take part in the practical session, but it did give me a chance to chat with several other members, new and old, about how their season had been. Overall, it was a very enjoyable evening. Apparently, there are new rules governing the type of fabric you can use, so I'm glad to not be making them for sale anymore. If you're making wraps for sale, it might be worth just checking to see if any rule changes mean you might have to adapt what you're doing. The following day, I drove down to Kent to join the Medway Beekeepers Association where I was giving a talk about my beekeeping year. It was an interesting drive down. I started way too early, so decided to stop just before hitting the Dartford Crossing and popped into the Lakeside Shopping Centre for a break. It's more like a small town than a shopping centre. I very quickly became lost. As I wandered around trying to find my way back to the car, I noticed a tall chap walking towards me who looked very familiar. I'm sure I recognised him. At least, I was sure I recognised him. Samuel L. Jackson. I'm absolutely certain it was him, heading towards Marks and Spencer's. Now, what to do in these situations? Oh, crikey. He's made eye contact with me. Fortunately, he didn't recognise me, and so I simply smiled nodded a brief hello and walked on by. I did eventually find the car, continued on my way and arrived at the event some three hours too early. Not to worry, a bite to eat and a chance to go over my slides and I think we had a successful evening. At least I enjoyed it. The drive home was long. A couple of overnight road closures meant I didn't get back until nearly 1am but at least I got back safely. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com 
forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. <laughs>